Thank you for joining us for another episode of Eno Tools University. This one, part two of a deeper dive having to do with tannin in winemaking. With us today, we have the evil genius, Doug Manning. He hails from the West Coast of the United States with 50 years experience around winemaking. Doug is at the helm of an outfit called U.S. Amade, which is Stefan Redu's brainchild. And we have with us also Mr. Redu, who represents five generations of expertise with French oak. And um, if anyone knows the application for oak tannin, uh, either American or French, the best ways to make it, et cetera, it would be Mr. Redu. And we also have Olivier Henry, who is to a neophyte like me. I just refer to him as a scientific expert and the guy who has the, uh, the key to our secret technology for gentle, clean, organic extraction of tannin from barrel quality oak. So good morning, gentlemen. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. Gentlemen. And Mr. Redu, I will let you uh, decide what direction this conversation should head right away. So it's, uh, you've got the ball. What's, um, what's a good place to start on this? As the topic here is about what can we do to help winemaking at the stage of the end of fermentation? In fact, what we usually look into is to go right before the end of the fermentation. This way, the tannins gonna have time to digest in, in a way that is gonna create more complexity into the wine. Yes, it's 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 mainly mainly this. Uh, after you have the stage of maturation and the stage of pre-bottling, uh, but what you do right up front at the end of the fermentation is going to help you have success on the other stages. Okay, so imagine that we're in a place where we're planning when to press off reds. Basically, we're not done with fermentation yet. So. I guess this leads us to Olivier, who can maybe enlighten us a little further on what exactly is happening in the wine with tannin and where tannin comes into play there prior to pressing off. Tannins are, tannins are acting as mainly as antioxidants. So as pro, for protecting the harvest, for protecting the juice, protecting the wine against oxidation. Uh, that's their first uh, function. They have a side function as, let's say, um, they are biostatic uh, products, meaning that they, are, they can control uh, the bacteria in the medium. They are not uh, antibacterial products, but they can control the level of bacteria and hence the, um, some level of contamination that can occur during the process. After, no, no uh, during the fermentation, uh, there are some, some development of uh, aromas and some, uh, um, what could I say that? Uh, yeah, aromatic uh, molecules. And these aromatic molecules can combine with the tannins to give more complex ones, or uh, even the tannins can especially the oak tannins can break down and give some precursors of some aromatic molecules. 
So this is a dual effect. And these precursors or these oligomers of tannins can combine with the uh, with the the, uh, the aromas of the grape, and then give more complex uh, molecules and more complex tastes. In fact, on one side it's a prote it's a protection effect, and on the other side it has an aromatic uh, an aromatic effect. So this is not only preserving what uh, what would be there without oxidation, but it's also potentially adding uh, another layer of aromatic complexity. Yeah, absolutely. As you go through this part of winemaking, like let's say harvest is all done, you're, uh -huh. you're pretty happy, pretty happy with um, the way your fermentations have turned out, and you're about to start pressing off your reds, your your whites, of course, have been in the tank. So we're entering aging slash maturation. Is the primary purpose for tannin, as you said, antioxidative to act as a preservative? Or is this a stylistic thing? Or how would you describe the necessity for tannin? It depends. It depends the type of tannin. Uh, if, you, if you are using simple tannins or grape, grape tannin or gallic tannins, gallotannins, there you, are, you will mainly have a protective role. Uh, if you are using oak tannins, for instance, you will add a level of complexity in, into your uh, aromatic uh, substrates and uh, into, into your taste, you will add a level of complexity. Because allergic, allergic tannins are coming from oak, and gallic tannins are coming from okay, various vegetables. Uh, they act differently. And uh, allergic uh, um, tannins give a level of, uh, are adding a level of complexity into the aromas. This is a point where it can get way more complex is because uh, at that point you have a choice. Do you want to, to be uh, working on uh, a single type of grape or do you want to work on a blend? Because this is going to take you to, to very different roads here. Uh, tannins are interacting with the matrix of the wine. So you have a choice or you start your blend early in the maturation process or you do your blend the latest possible. Uh, it's really a choice. It's um, it's really a culture of the winemaker how he wants to uh, to build his wine. But the way you're gonna interact with the tannins are in this case different, because when you start blending, um, you you can create different pattern, different. Uh, shape of your of your wine so it's it can be culture, something cultural uh, but it has a huge impact on the final results tannins by definition or by essence are reacting with proteins in in winemaking the proteins are enzymes and so by interacting with enzymes the tannins can modify a little bit the process and the way the process take, it can be delayed a little bit or uh, it can 
so, sometimes, sometimes uh, again, the, the 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 enzymes that are present present into the uh, during the process, the winemaking process, are not desirable in enzymes. They are not wanted. They are unwanted enzymes, and by uh, reacting with those enzymes, they, uh, the tannins protect the wine against uh, enzymatic oxidation and against uh, undesired effects due to microorganisms uh, and so and so. Tannins are protecting due to their combination, possible combination with enzymes that are coming from unwanted microorganisms. Sometimes they can act since they are binding with proteins they can bind on the um, the shell of the um, of the yeasts and then acting a little bit on the fermentation process but this can be desired or not and so you you have to use carefully and to select carefully the, the tannins you are using during the fermentation process to avoid un unwanted effects due to the, the, the reaction of uh, tannins with the, the shell of uh, the membrane of the yeast. Stefan, I see what you mean by uh, this can get complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug, what comes to mind right now? What do you see from the American winemaking perspective is uh, important to highlight right here? Well, we stated before an earlier you know, Tool University podcast, the efforts of the winemaker at this point of harvest. You've got the fermentation nearly complete and you're looking to create the direction or fill the direction, and that would be it. Uh, the artisanal winemaker makes the absolute best wine out of the grapes that they have to use. The artisanal slash commercial winemaker, which encompasses all of them, has a product slot to fill. So as we discussed earlier with, with uh, Olivier, you're looking to see how you can nudge this wine in the direction that you need it to move. That's a long way of saying nothing. <laughs> but basically, I have 100,000 cases of Chardonnay that I want to release in June of the following vintage. How do I do that? Or I have you know, a Chardonnay that I'll release when it's really ready. We have pipelines to fill. This is a, this is a commercial um, production. This is a commercial art form, if you will. And uh, that's always in mind of the winemaker. Uh, we're gonna bottle this in the spring. We're gonna bottle this in another year. Uh, how can we best fold these flavor precursors into that goal? If we know that our product is a blend of three varieties, and one variety comes up a bit short in uh, our organ left profile at this point, just post-harvest, post-fermentation. Uh, how can we manipulate it to fit it back in? It's a These good tannins, question. How, yeah, the, how would you do that? Like which tannin, which type of tannin product would you reach for right at that point if one of the... So the Mouvedra came in with a very high unacceptable pyrazine. And that uh, going into the GSM is not going to work for us. So we need to remove the bell pepper from that before we do our blend or our first blend. And um, maybe the uh, EBX 12 uh, at an early harvest period, early post-harvest or post-fermentation period 
would uh, reduce the pyrazine levels. And then we and analyze that and do our trial blends and move it into the blend at that time. Those kinds of things. Uh, the bottom fell out of the fruit profile because of the excessive heat. This is what we're experiencing in California. So everything's there in the wine except the fruit. Can we enhance what fruit is left? Can we use a tannin to do that? Um, all the time protecting from oxidation as well. A lot of tools. The other point here is also time frame. Yeah. Um, bringing oak, for if, if we talk about oak, oak is a, is a way to enhance, protect, but also to, to drive really the flavor, the characteristic of your wine. Uh, some use chips to do so. Chips is interesting because it's fast. You're talking about four to six weeks of integration. You'll have sallow taste because it's too fast. So you, you, you build some things that won't last long. The other way of doing it is stave. The thicker, the slower, so the more it builds. And after, but there from some stave, you'll go from three to four months to 18 months, which bring you also to the time frame of a barrel, 12 to 18 months. This takes time. Tanning, in a way, is going to be way faster. So when you talk about the maturation process, it's also a way to reduce and to, to have uh, a time to market way shorter. Uh, you won't be like on the same level of quality as chips. You'll, you'll be way higher than that. You'll be, uh, it depends on also the way you extract your tanning. But if you do like a soak, cold soak extraction, you'll have the result of heavier stave, thicker stave in a time frame of two weeks. So you can, tannins bring you the opportunity to go far, fast. So to have a time to market really shorten, but also without uh, getting uh, to lower your quality. You can work on higher quality also with tannins. So it's a, uh, it's also something important to, to have in mind what you can do around time. Would I be crazy to ask one of you three gentlemen to give us a quick and dirty winemaking protocol for Chardonnay and just for example, the much maligned Merlot. We could go so far as to say maybe it's a Rebordo blend. Um, Doug, if you want to take a stab at this or whoever, um, you know, you're, you're, oh, Stefan's got a hand up. Stefan's going to volunteer. <laughs> yeah, in fact, yes, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, regarding Chardonnay, it depends what you, you want to achieve. First opportunity, you want a crystal clear, very minerally Chardonnay. If you want that, you can use our tannin number 14, which is a French oak with a toast and spice at a dose level close to nothing. We'll say 0.5 milliliter per hectoliter. But wow. that, that's going to create you a something very tense in your taste, a very linear, very mineral. 
is going to raise up the minority of your uh, of your Chardonnay if you want that, uh, and also uh, bring you the middle of palate. If you now want a Chardonnay more on the buttery aspect of it, you you you'll be able to work on number thirteen, which is a vanilla toasting French oak tanning, and you'll go around three to four milliliter per hectoliter. So you see it's also very, very low, but at four milliliter per hectoliter, you're gonna, you're gonna bring, you're gonna raise this buttery aspect of your Chardonnay that please some people. At the same time, you're gonna slightly golden shape the color of your Chardonnay. So, for this is uh, for Chardonnay what you can do around Merlot. Um, in fact, after it, it depends what you want. You want a Merlot on the fruit, so here you can use the tannin number twelve, which reveal the fruit to uh, to a dosage rate around fifteen milliliter per hectoliter. Um, like that, you'll have something very. Um, um, young, fresh, uh, that opens the appetite, uh, really. And, um, and you know, you are just before the barbecue, this type of wine, very on the fruit. Now, if you want something more, um, you know, around a red meat, more, uh, a more meaty kind of Merlot. Um, uh, for instance, in Saint-Emilion, what we are doing, it's a blend of 13, which is vanilla, French oak, and uh, 22, which is American oak on a, on a light toast. And this is gonna bring you uh, some aspect of, um, of terroir, of uh, something more crafted. Uh, is you, you're gonna extend the, the length of your, of, of your wine. You're gonna bring some leathery uh, aspect of it. So, you see, by those two examples, it's a uh, trial is the key. Uh, we have we, we know exactly what works, function of the terroir and the type of grape. But after it's you know it's just uh, what does a winemaker wants? What type of market does he want to address? And you can go from easy drinking to very complex and high end wines using tannins, that's, that's the beauty of it. But to, in order to do so, you have to be very focused on your oak selection, the way you mature your oak, and the way you do your extraction. Because it's, it's only by bringing the best of the oak that you'll be able to help people make high-end wines. You've given me an idea, it seems like, at some point, we should put our heads together and just write down some some general protocols. You know, be In able fact, to. Share. We already have that. <laughs> Look at that! It's a great idea, and it's already happened. <laughs> no, no, we have the chance of of uh, having. Um, several years of working with high-end analog uh, in so many places like France, Italy, and, and, and other, other countries. And, uh, and once in a while, we gather them and uh, we share the best practices. And we came out with a tool, um, a decision-making tool to help. Uh, how does uh, you have something where you want to go 
uh, you have this and this characteristic of your wine. Okay, from experience, you can do that. Or you have an issue, you want, uh, you want to turn around this, that issue. Experience shows that by using this and this, this way, it works. So yeah, all, all people working with us uh, have, have those tools. And um, yeah, it's, it's very valuable and based on experience. Well, that's good. So guys, this might be the shortest episode ever of Tools <laughs> University. Uh, typically, we end up with around an hour and a half of raw audio. And then it takes me about, uh, you know, four days of editing to go through one of these um, to get to the bullet points. But for whatever reason, I think we've gotten right to the right to the meat of the bone here, or, or sorry, the bone, the bone. You know, I, I have a guilty conscience because I sell really nice high-end barrels. And I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm cheating on my, my cooperage by, uh, by even asking this question. But here it is. This is the elephant in the living room, guys. I know a lot of winemakers have this instinct when they are the decision maker, when they're the purchasing manager. And I'm talking about like an owner operator type of situation, which is the majority of the accounts I have east of the Rockies. I know a lot of these guys, it hurts them to spend $1,200 landed cost on a on a gorgeous french barrel i've seen a lot of nice spider graphs and things that show in a blind tasting any kind of method you can you could choose where barrels still place very very strong if not in first place against quote unquote oak adjuncts against tannin there are many arguments and many theories about the concept of barrel respiration and whether or not a barrel actually breathes, is it just surrendering air, which was trapped in the stave, or is it actively breathing? Some people say the oxidation, which is part of integration, all happens during racking or handling in general of, of the wine in the barrel, topping, what have you. So here it comes, the question I hate to ask, is there such thing as life without barrels? Stefan? <laughs> Why creating opposites? Why bringing things, should we use this? against this. We don't see that that way. Barrels are great tools. They are just great tools. A lot of our clients are, and that might be another topic we'll raise together, are also using our tenants as the final step when they, they have great barrels and they use the tenants as the final step just for the, the small notch, the small plus at the end. Um, it's all come down to the culture of the winemaker. Some have very good handling and mastering of their barrels, and we can help those people for the small last step. Last step. Other has some huge cost implication using barrels, and they say, okay, from the price point, I'm saying my wine barrel is nice, but it doesn't fit into the price of my bottle because just roughly barrel costs between three to four dollars a bottle to use. So not every wine is able to have this type of costing. Uh, Tanning is gonna only cost around a couple of cents, couple, you know, around five, five cents a bottle. So you're not talking the same frame here. So there's a cost. From a quality perspective, it's also always come down to how crafted is the winemaker. 
something that master well a technique is going to be better than anyone. So it can be staged, it can be tanning, it can be barrel. It really depends on the culture of the person and how he handles the thing. Uh, now we see tannins as offering another way of doing, not the only one, but can be part of the way of. It, it really depends. So that's not to be against the barrel. Barrels are great. Well, that's good to hear. I feel better. And I would like to add that it's the possibility for a winemaker to use oak. And okay, he can use barrels, but there's a, a scarcity in wood or of wood of barrel quality, I would say. And you, you, by using smaller pieces of wood and by extracting it's wood of the same quality, but you don't need the same length. So you can use smaller pieces that cannot be used for barrels. And then this helps to fight against the scarcity of wood and then gives the opportunity of more winemakers to use oak into their process because of the cheapest way to use it. But again, also also for because the uh, the offer, the availability is much bigger than for barrels. Yes, and this is one of the reasons we came to produce tanning ourselves, is um, when we walk in the forest, we are seeing, unfortunately, forest dying. Just for the small record, I am harvesting my trees, my oak, around um, 150 miles up north from where my father used to harvest his trees. With one tree, you make around 10 barrels. You can only produce over four years around 90 hectoliters of wine. It's nice, great quality, but only with one tree. If you are using tannins with the same tree, you, you are talking of 17 thousand hectoliters of wine you can work on it's not the same bowl game mm -hmm. did you say 90 hectoliter or 90? i know yes 90 90 hectoliter okay just wanted to clarify yeah because when you are using tannins in fact we are we are um, we are selling oak for barrel maker it's time we and we make stave, we make chips. Each time we cut a piece of oak, we take the dust from the sewing, and this we reuse. We waste nothing. So the oak resources is something so precious, we have to use everything. Your question can we make, and I utter it carefully, good wine without the oak barrel? And yet it is the oak barrel winemaking that becomes the iconic standard for fine wines. With that standard still being held, we extract with cold water so that we are taking that narrow window of extraction uh, that is reproducing what would be extracted in a barrel. You have the wine with a pH and alcohol and a temperature going into a a series of oak staves in a cylindrical form, and you're extracting something from that wood. There's your oak aging right there. We're doing the same thing, but we're adding that wood to the to the wine rather than the wine to the wood uh, with cold water. We're not heating that uh, that product, that wood product. And uh, 
So I kind of look, I can't call it anything other than a tannin, but I kind of look at oak, uh, ex -oak, um, oak adjuncts, staves, chips, staves, staves of various thickness, and tannin, at least the EVX tannin. Is more of an extract in practice and in usage than a tannin as we know it. Winemakers see two worlds. They see the world of oak adjuncts and they see the world of tannin because that is what they have been offered by producers, buyers. This is different. That's an important point. I think we've covered a lot of territory with these three podcasts focusing on tannin. This will go some distance in reminding folks that uh, certain types of tannin products are actually oak extract. Doug, thank you for that. Another nugget. I don't know if anybody else caught it. Doug had another moment of genius here a few minutes ago when he referred to winemaking as a commercial art form. I mean, I think a man with 50 years experience, maybe we can refer to that as a moment of lucidity. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was genius. It was not a lucid interval. Doug is always sharp and on point. And any of you folks, if you ever want uh, a question answered and Joe's first response is, <clears throat> I don't know. Hey, Doug, and you end up talking to Doug, you'll find that the man is a valuable resource. And one of the people I'm happy to have in the network for Eno Tools as we go on this journey together of developing a marketplace for this new line of tannin and oak extract. Thank you folks again for listening to Eno Tools University. Thank you, Olivier. I know you're crunched for time today. Yeah, sorry for that. <laughs> oh, no problem. Life happens. Stefan, thank you again, as always. And uh, Doug, we will talk soon. Absolutely. And and thank you folks again for tuning in to Eno Tools University brought to you by enotools.com. That sounded commercial, didn't it? Oh, yeah, very good. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. <laughs> Bye.